Really glad to have you here. Uh, and those of you joining us online or those of you at Olmstead Falls, really glad to have you uh, with us today as well. Something a lot of us couldn't do last year, right? Gathering for Mother's Day, being together as God's people, gathering in various places uh, with those we love. And so it's a special gift uh, to be with others today. Uh, I'm gonna spend time today with my mom, my mother-in-law, the mother of my own kids, uh, Mary, and just really grateful. My mom did make me nervous the other day. She was talking about that phrase, that's a child only a mother could love. And I said, Mom, it's not, I don't like when you talk about me like that. That hurts my feelings. And so <laughs> I love you, Mom, and really grateful for you and Mary and Jamie. So grateful for you all. I want to talk today about the best gift that you can give, not only to a mom, if mom's still with you, but really to all of the people in your life, the people you work with, the people you like, the people you don't. And uh, and especially with all of the challenges that we face in our world today, uh, that, that what does it look like, like in all the other craziness and upheaval? This past year has been wild, hasn't it? Uh, I, I've talked about it like we have a low-grade fever as a nation. And, uh, and, and if you have had a case of the blues or discouragement, you are definitely not alone. We have uh, six counselors affiliated with Grace. All of them are booked, some of them for weeks to come. You may be among those who are upset or nervous about what's happening in our nation today. Relationships have no question been strained over differences on who to vote for. Uh, should we wear a mask or not? Are you gonna get the vaccine? Should we do online school, virtual, or should we do it in person? What about stimulus checks? all kinds of important things. Did the Browns draft the right players? Uh, I think they did. <laughs> uh, all kinds of important stuff, I'm, I'm, but, but seriously, in all of the craziness of this past year and what we face today, like when you're trying to just sort through it all, what matters most? What matters most in your life and mine? Jesus doesn't leave us guessing. In fact, when he was asked, What's the most important thing that we can do? He doesn't hesitate. Uh, what he says matters most about your life and about my life is what we're going to be evaluated on someday. When we stand before God, if you believe that when we come to the end of this life that it's not the end, that we're gonna stand before a maker, there's one thing that Jesus says matters most. And it's really the best gift you can give to the people around you because it shapes the kind of person that you are, the gift of yourself to the people around you. So what does Jesus say? When someone asks him what the mo what's the most important thing we can do, he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and what? Greatest commandment. Makes me ask, I think, wow, oh God, if that is the most important thing, how can my love for you grow? I want us just to talk about that today. Would you turn with me in your Bible? If you have your Bible, if you have a cell phone, you can go to the Bible app, Luke chapter 7. We're going to, uh, it's the third book of the New Testament. It's Luke's historical account. By the way, when Luke writes, he goes, I undertook a carefully written, you know, eyewitness account of who this Jesus is. 
As you're turning uh, in your Bibles, there are also notes on our website. If you go to gracema.org, the homepage says bulletin. You just click the bulletin, end of the bulletin, our notes for today. If this is newer for you, by the way, or maybe you're here to, to bless mom uh, and you're not really sure what Jesus is all about, I am so glad you're here today because you're going to hear what it is that's at the core of being a Christ follower, to be a Christian. Like what is it all about? It's not about a lot of religious hoops and obligations and all the rest. We're gonna talk about what it truly means to, to follow Jesus. And I hope that it'll put like sort of a bounce in your step. You'll wake up tomorrow with new energy because what Jesus says here is not just about some people in the past, it includes you and me. Like he invites you and me to be a part of, of those who really know and love him to really love him with all of our hearts. So whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you're on the front end of a relationship with Christ, just uh, inquiring, there's a word from you. Luke chapter seven, hold your place there and let me just sort of paint the picture of what happens in this scene. Jesus gets a very interesting dinner invitation uh, from a man named Simon. Simon's a well-known Pharisee. Pharisees were these sort of elite religious leaders and they had a reputation. They knew their theology, they uh, never missed a synagogue service, they were known for all of their religious rules, and it's safe to say they were not real fond of Jesus. They didn't, he was a threat to them. So why does Simon invite Jesus to dinner? Maybe out of curiosity, maybe because it was like, you know, having your guest book that Jesus was at my house. I know we don't all like him, but I still have this famous guy in my house. Maybe it's because it was a good thing to invite rabbis, traveling teachers in Jewish tradition into your home. And so it was a good thing for, for them to do. Whatever motivated him, it became clear from the moment that Jesus walks in the door that Simon thinks more of himself than he does of Jesus. Common courtesies in that day were totally ignored. You know, when someone comes to your house, what do you do? You might, someone walks in, you shake their hand, maybe you give them a hug, you, you know, you take their coat, you offer them a drink, you go, hey, why don't you come and have a seat? And you, you sort of welcome them in. Back in that day, there were some traditions that we're gonna see here in this passage that, that you would do. You sort of place a hand on a shoulder and you would, you'd kiss the person. Now, we might not always do that here, but even in parts of Europe or other places, Middle East, right, they'd maybe kiss on both cheeks, one cheek, and that was something to do. Simon doesn't do that for Jesus. It was also common courtesy to remove your guest sandals because there was a lot of animals, which meant there was a lot of stuff on the roads, you know, and your sandal, your, your feet would get all dirty, so you'd take someone's sandal and you would have their feet washed by yourself or by a, a servant, someone in, in the home. And then... Dinner guests were often given a touch of olive oil. Maybe it was like spraying someone with Febreze. Not that you would do that to your guests when they come in, but an olive oil was sort of the sense of it just felt refreshing. And, and so, but there was no such kindness for Jesus. Simon avoided every common courtesy that would have made Jesus feel welcome, that would have shown Jesus, wow, I really honor you. Like, I love you. I'm so glad to have you here in my home. He doesn't do that. But there Jesus is. Dinner's about to begin. Dishes of food had hardly been set out. When there's a major interruption, an embarrassing interruption. First, let me just mention um, what a party was like in those days. If you had a, in a, in a sort of a well-to-do Jewish home, there'd be like your home would have an open courtyard in the middle 
and, uh, and you would have your table there uh, with food, and, but it was sort of open to, you know, people could, could look in and observers and see what's going on because the way the houses were open, and, and so Jesus is there, and often what you would do is you'd, you'd have a table and you'd sit on cushions and your feet would be away from the table and you'd sort of be reclining and you're, you'd be up by a table, a sort of a low set table. Well, on this occasion, um, someone sort of crashes the party. Out from the shadow comes a woman, and she stands silently at Jesus' feet as he was reclining there, and she's by his feet, away from the table, and, um, and as folks catch a glimpse of this woman, they're shocked to see who it is standing there at Jesus' feet. Let's read how the situation unfolds. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. Let's see what it says. When one of the Pharisees, that's Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Just pause there a second. Simon's like, of all people, I can't believe she's doing this. You see, this was a woman that everybody knew about. Like her reputation preceded her. In verse 37, it says, she had lived a sinful life. And Simon's surprised in verse 39. says, I can't believe Jesus is even allowing this woman to touch him. Likely, she had been with a few too many men in a few too many places. Not the type of person that Simon wanted to have signing his guest book. Do you have any... Do you have a friend or a family member or someone in your workplace you're like, that would be the worst person to show up at my party or a, you know, some kind of dinner gathering I'm having or I'm out to, and someone shows up at the table and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe. And then they, that's, that was this woman right here. And what Simon can't figure out is why Jesus doesn't scold her or keep her from touching him. See what he says in verse 39, he goes, if this man were really a prophet, like if he knew everything, he'd know who this woman is and he wouldn't let her get close to him. You see, Jesus had this growing reputation. We look back just a few verses up at verse 16 in this same chapter. This is just after Jesus had brought a widow's son back to life. And here's what it says in verse 16. All the people were filled with awe and praised God. They said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people, and the news about Jesus spread. And Simon knew about that. He's going, a prophet? Really? This guy's no prophet. Up to this point, Jesus hasn't spoken a word. At least that's recorded. In fact, neither has Simon nor this woman. And what Jesus says first shows there's just something about Jesus could he be God? Not only does Jesus know who this woman is and all she's done, he's also aware of Simon's thoughts. 
Simon hadn't read Jesus' mind, but Jesus had read his. And Jesus shows that he is a prophet. In fact, he's more than that. He's God himself. Look how Jesus compares or really contrasts these two individuals' love for God, this very religious person and this woman who's, who's washing his feet with her tears in her hair. Look what he says in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he says. Jesus talks about two people. All of us are one of these two people. He says two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Let's just stop there a moment. Jesus tells a simple story in the Pharisee realizes he's talking about me. He's saying that this woman loves God more than I do. Really, Jesus is talking about all of us. These two people in Jesus' story are, are different in one sense, but they're very much alike in another. You and I are identified uh, as with one or the other, different in how much debt they owe, right? He says one owes this much, one owes this much, but what's clear from the story is, is this, that, that while one might owe a, a lake full of, like they have a lake full of sin and regret, and the other one has like an ocean full of sin and regret, they both have a lot of sin and regret, right? They both owe a big debt. In fact, Jesus, while saying that some have sinned more than others, he goes, this person owes this, this one owes this. What Jesus says, he puts them both in the same boat. He has this little phrase he inserts into the story that shows no matter how religious or how irreligious you think you are, no matter how much you think you've been good before God or how much you think I really messed up, Jesus goes, you know what? I see you all the same. Look what he says in verse 42. He says, neither of them had the money to do what? To pay off their debts. In other words, they're both bankrupt totally unable to pay their debt. Now, I want you to hang with me here. I, I want us to see how this is so key in shaping our love for God. This woman knows how spiritually bankrupt she is. She knew that she could never, ever pay back her debts to God for the things that she had done. So when she realized how much she had been forgiven, she's in awe. She knows, I owe my very life to Jesus. Like, I, I, I don't know how to repay him for his forgiveness or the fact that he would accept me. And so her heart is just totally given to Jesus. The Pharisee, on the other hand, he focuses on the fact, he goes, you know what? This woman, like, if Jesus knew what a sinner this woman is, he would never let her touch him. What is he doing? This is critical kind of guy. I'm better than. She needs forgiveness. I don't. It's a whole comparison trap. And he sees himself as I'm a pretty good guy, and she, she's terrible. Instead of admitting that he's spiritually bankrupt as well, he makes the critical mistake of thinking he's better off than this woman. You know what it's sort of like? It's sort of like two students taking a test. Final exam's coming up this week for some college students and a couple more weeks for uh, those of you in school. And it's sort of like a guy at his desk and he looks at his paper and he goes, I got a 35%. They got an 18%. I think I did pretty well. And you're like, you know what? 
you still flunked, right? Doesn't matter if you got 35 or 18%, you're still flunked. You're still in the same boat. You've both got an F, right? And Jesus is saying, you, you might owe different amounts. You might have scored differently, but you're both bankrupt. She realizes it. He does not. Jesus gives us all the same spiritual diagnosis regarding our ability to earn our way to heaven. He says, you know what, folks? Every one of you, you're spiritually bankrupt. You're unable to pay your debt to God. That's what the Bible declares about all of us, that we've all messed up. We all have sin and regret. We'll never be good enough for God. We're bankrupt. Can we acknowledge that about ourselves? We're spiritually bankrupt. Here, here's where this comes home to you and me. We're going to look at the difference between these two individuals. If you look at the notes uh, on your digital bulletin, you'll, you'll see how sort of the, the two columns there, someone who recognizes their need for God and someone who doesn't. And as we look at just a couple of differences between these two people, I want you to ask yourself this question. If I had to place myself in the column of this really religious, I think I'm pretty good kind of person, or this sort of I'm a pretty broken, I know how much I've messed up, I desperately need forgiveness kind of person, which one would you say you identify with more? Let's ask a couple of diagnostic questions here. First of all, do I see myself as a respectable person in the community? Or do I see myself more as a person who has a boatload of past regrets? There's a big difference here, and it plays out deeply uh, for how much I feel I have a need for forgiveness, whether or not I think I need a savior. One person thinks, you know what? I think I've been in a lot of folks. I think I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I haven't, you know, committed any major crimes or end up in prison or something like that. I'm certainly better than that person is. And the other person just sort of goes, God, I, I know I made a mess of my life. And if you could ever find in your heart to forgive me, Lord, I, I owe my life to you. Which one of those is more characteristic of your life. Second question, do I feel pretty good about myself compared to others or am I aware of my deep spiritual need? Do I think on my own I have a pretty good shot of making it to heaven or do I know that I don't have a snowball's chance and you know where to get there without the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Friends, people who know how much they need Jesus, have a hard time not talking about it, right? That's why this woman, she just comes up and she starts to show her love for Jesus. And you might go, I would never like wash someone's feet with my tears and I don't even have hair to wash like someone's, right? And, uh, but do you, do you love him? Is there a sense of going, Jesus, what you have done for me, I, I would be lost without you. You've forgiven me, you've shown me mercy, Lord. I just... You're my life. This, that's what it is for this woman here. She's willing to do something in public that was embarrassing in front of people. She's like, I owe my life to this man. To be clear, both of these people may have been religious. Pharisee types, they look religious, but it's often more ritual than it is a relationship. They may show up to church, but it's just a habit. They say grace before meals maybe, but they don't really sense that they have much need for God. He's sort of like a hobby in their life that's sort of like a day a week or an hour a week or something like that. They're like, yeah, I sort of go to you know, the important events. They don't see their need for Jesus, and so they remain unforgiven. But the other person, they go, I, I, would, I desperately need his forgiveness. 
He's transformed me from the inside out and I, I'm getting to know him better. Look, look at the end of this chapter here, verse 48 to 50. Here's, here's how it wraps up. Then Jesus said to her, not to the religious guy, but to the woman who had a past. He says, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Who walked away forgiven that day? The one who knows their guilt, their need, who comes to Jesus, realizes the incredible debt that he's forgiven, and knows that it's only because of him that they can be at peace with God and with themselves. And when this woman or anyone who's in her shoes goes to church, they just can't help but worship and tell the Lord how much they love him and to be like, like I, I, I'm gonna be boldly, like follow him and he's, he's the center of my life and there's a reality to their spiritual life that is more than just going through the motions. You're like, that person loves Jesus. Why? Because they know how much they've been forgiven. That's the secret to loving Jesus more. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Just one more difference between these two types of people. Do you notice this here? A religious person, like that Pharisee type, is marked by a critical spirit. He's critical of Jesus. He goes, if this guy were really a prophet, he wouldn't be doing that. And he's critical of other people who have a past. People who are sort of proud and don't think they have a need for Jesus feel better about themselves by criticizing the other people around them. Some of them think they have the spiritual gift of criticism. You know anybody like that? And they're just critical. All Did you see what that person did? Did you hear about them? Did you know about them? You should really pray for that person. And they find fault in everybody else. And in so doing, they sort of pump themselves up. That's one kind of person. This other woman? Wow. She's marked by gratitude, right? And love. When you really know how much Jesus has forgiven you, just, I owe my life to him. And you're more generous with other people. You, you, you see the best in them. You don't freeze frame them in their past and say, oh, I know what kind of person that was. No, you go, I, I know how much they're loved by Jesus and, and he wants to do something in your life. And even if you find them to be difficult, you go, they're not my enemy, they're a victim of the enemy. Let me say it one more time. When you're with someone else that you find difficult, they're not your enemy, they're a victim of the enemy. And Jesus loves them and wants to do something for them. And when you love him and you know how much he's done for you, you don't compare yourself or go, oh, they're really, you just go, I know what he's done for me and it's what I want them to do for him. And you're just marked by a gratitude and by a love for people. So let's make this personal. Based on these descriptions, which person more describes who you are? A proud critical, I think I'm a pretty good person, or someone who goes, you know what, if it weren't for Jesus, I'd be totally lost. I know how bankrupt I am, I'm so grateful what he's done for me, and I love him with all my heart. Let me just say a couple last things and then we'll close. What's the secret of great love for God? The secret of great love for God is to grasp how much I've been forgiven and what it cost Jesus to secure that. Without him, my ship is sunk. With him, my life can be transformed. Look what Jesus says in verse 50. He says, 
to the woman, he goes, your faith has saved you. She wasn't saved by doing something for Jesus or by her religious devotion or whatever, it was her faith. That she believed Jesus wasn't just a first century teacher, she saw him as her savior. And, and it was a faith that believed that he could forgive her no matter what she had done. Friends, can I just be really clear? Jesus doesn't choose you because you're a good person. He doesn't choose you because of, you know, compared to everybody else, like he doesn't choose you because he sees your gifting. He chooses you because he loves you. And our response to him is to say, Lord, when I think of how much you've forgiven me, the price that you paid to do that, Lord, I just can't help it. My heart overflows with love for you. The secret to great love for God, to realize again and again how much I've been forgiven. Friends, all that he asks is that we respond in faith to say, Lord, I know that I'm spiritually bankrupt and my only hope is what you've done for me when you died on the cross in my place. I put my faith in you. Maybe you say, I, I don't really know that I've done that. Like, I, I, I know I'm not a, like a super good person, but I, how do you actually be this kind of person over here who's like humble and calls out for Jesus? You know, it's, it's really just saying, Jesus, I acknowledge the truth about me. I, I desperately need you. And I acknowledge the truth about you. You're the only one who can really forgive me. And Jesus, I, I give myself to you. Thank you for receiving me. In your notes today, is a, in your digital notes, is a prayer that you can use to start a personal relationship with Jesus. It's coming to, to, tr to terms with the truth about him and about you. Here's the miracle that Jesus provided by his grace. A friend put it this way to me this week. They said, you can remember your past, you don't have to be your past. Would you say that aloud with me, you ready? You can remember your past. You don't have to be your past. Friends, that's the heart of the heavenly father for you. The Bible says he remembers your sin no more. If you've put your faith in him and you've come to him for forgiveness, what he wants to tell you is this. From the day that you came home to Jesus till the day that you die, that you will always be, Jesus is saying, you'll always be the one that I love. The father says, you're gonna be my child and nothing, nothing can ever change that. Can I come back to the opening thought here? In the end, nothing really matters about your life or about my life except for this. And all the clutter of this world and all the upheaval of this past year, when we're just sort of feel like we're swimming through sometimes a swamp, there's one thing that really matters and it's this. Jesus said it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 6. He says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. I like how someone more recently put it, C.S. Lewis. You'll see this in your notes. He says this, if you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you. And I hope you may always do so. If you continue to love Jesus, nothing can really go wrong with you. My prayer for you, for me, is that we will love him more and more. And can I say it again? It's the best gift you can give to the people around you. That as you love him more, you become a more generous, loving, kind person, and you reflect his heart, 
in a way that people see his love through you. May it be. May it be for you, for me, for all of us. Let's pray and ask him to make it so. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for loving us like you do. Lord, I think in my own life, um, I desperately need you. Lord, without you, I'm lost. My ship is sunk. I can't pay my debt. But you love me and gave yourself for me. And Jesus, I thank you for welcoming welcoming me home to your family. Lord Jesus, thank you for the extending that invitation to every single one of us. We wanna tell you today that if you'll take us, we wanna be yours. We want our love for you to grow, and so Lord Jesus, would you give us a fresh awareness of how much we've been forgiven, and may you look to us and say, you've got it. You're growing in love for me. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit within, would you make it so? That's what we long for. That's the kind of people we want to be. Make us just like that, we pray, according to your great power. And everyone agreed and said, amen. May it be for all of us.